Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Outside Perspective. I'm your host, Adam Meredith. Today's episode is brought to you by my good friends over at Jumbo Superfoods. So, on previous episodes, I've also talked about Jumbo. However, in the previous capacity, uh, that was just affiliate marketing. So now they are officially a sponsor of the podcast, and I'm so pumped to have them on the team. So you can go to jombocbd.com. You can check out all of their products. They have sprays. They have balms. They have a ghee. They have drops. Everything that you need. Now, what exactly do they sell? They sell CBD and THC products. If you're in the state of California, which I know quite a few of my listeners are, then you can check out one of your local dispensaries and see if they carry the Jumbo THC spray. If they don't, you should request it. For everybody else, you can go online, go to jumbocbd.com. You can check out all of their CBD products. What is CBD? Cannabidol, one of the many compounds found in the cannabis plant, but don't worry, this one is not conscious altering. You will not get high from it. You will not fail a drug test, but what you may experience is relief from pain. More than likely, you will experience relief from pain. If you are suffering from minor pain to long-term nagging chronic pain, um, if you're having issues sleeping, if you're having anxiety, it's been shown to help with a whole host of issues, and you can benefit too. So go to jombocbd.com, check them out. Again, use the code OUTSIDE at checkout, and you will save 20% off your entire order. One more time, jombocbd.com, use the code OUTSIDE at checkout, and you will save 20%. Go check it out, guys. My guest today is a savage. Kyle Watson is who I sit down with, and uh, it was it was really cool to uh, to sit down with him after having you know watched his journey in the UFC and on the Ultimate Fighter season twelve, and uh, I've always had I've, I've always wanted to sit down and and, and talk to him. Kyle is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He has an amazing facility here in St. Louis, and I was really happy to sit down with him. And then afterwards, we got some awesome rolls, and he had open mat um, immediately after the podcast. So I picked a hell of a time to come sit down with him and got my ass beat by four or five different black belts in the area. So it was really cool. It seems to be that's where most of the black belts in the area like to go train. So I was uh I felt very privileged to be in that room with all of those all of those killers, man. It was it was a good time. So without further ado, Kyle Watson, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Kyle Watson. We're locked in. We're ready to go. Let's do this. All right, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. Yeah, I really appreciate you doing this. Um, obviously, you're super busy running a very successful jiu-jitsu school here in St. Louis. So uh, anytime I can get somebody to take the time out, I, I mean, I'm just so thankful. Oh, I appreciate it, man. I, I, I was looking at the list of people you've had on, many of whom I, I respect quite a bit, so I was pretty honored to have my name thrown into that list. <laughs> God, man, I appreciate that. Um, so let's pick up kind of we, – we were talking a little bit about uh, – competing and uh you know you're kind of in a low moment there because um, you're one of the most active in the game for sure i would say as far as i mean when you think of like high level black belts i mean people always you can always kind of like the cyborgs and and the gordons and different things like that but like you're running a school and like you're still regularly competing i don't i can't think of too many people at least here in the st louis area who's doing that mm-hmm. so like what keeps you driven as far as to keep doing this you know what i mean you've yeah. done a lot in the yeah sport. i mean it is it is tough it's a balancing act and uh, i'm juggling a lot of time but um I, there's just a couple of things that's just really important to me it's like one I think I'm, I talked to you a little bit about the, about it at the tournament. It's just that um, I, I feel it's really, really important. I don't want to sound like you know self righteous about it, but I'm just saying like I, I want to lead by example. And I feel like, you know, 
um, I want my students to know that I've been there and kind of trust in my uh, instruction and and uh, my knowledge because um, I'm always testing and revamping and trying to evolve and 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 growing. It's not just like you know you see some black belts that get their black belt and they just kind of go through the motions and they get fat and they yeah. just kind of do it. You know, I, I really want to be kind of in the trenches with them and, um, and, and, and really lead them. And then also too, I just have that, I say all the time, I still have the fire in my belly. Once I retire from MMA, I still need to, you know, curb my appetite for yeah. you know, wanting to test myself. I was, I'm just a competitive person and, uh, yeah. and, um, I love that moment. I hate the anxiety in the bullpen, but then I love that moment where it's just the ref waves you on the mat and it's it's go time you know yeah so. yeah it's just like nothing else matters at that moment <clears throat> for sure yeah i mean that's it's it's definitely um there's something to be said about that like to keep that fire in your belly because i mean a lot of people lose it mm -hmm. like they don't want to compete anymore i'm kind of in that boat like so after competing for 10 years plus you know doing mma at a pretty high level um i just don't really feel the need to like to prove anything mm -hmm. There's, I feel like with competition, there's always like that need to prove something, mm -hmm. whether there's like validation just to yourself, but there is some sort of like external validation we're all looking for because it sure. is nice to get that win, you sure. know what I mean? So, yeah, that's something I've kind of been struggling about. So I was really wondering like what your thoughts were on that because you're so active still. Yeah, it is. It is weird because I, I was reading someone, someone the other day had posted something on Facebook saying that you know don't worry, um, you know about losing you go, the the feelings of of loss last as long as the feelings of a win and it does unfortunately that's the truth that's it, the truth it is. it's like you win and you're happy for a few days like oh you're on cloud nine and then it's like okay what's next what's next and, and then yeah. you lose and you're bummed for a week but then it's kind of like okay what, what do i do now you know so um i, I don't know it's just like I, I feel like too one of the things is i um i feel like it it just gives me a drive when I know I have something to prepare for. Because I feel like when you just go in the gym and it, it's easy to get lazy and go through the motions and keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over. Yeah. But then when you have good training partners that can show you, hey, you know, that might not work. Or, right. or, or they start kicking your butt or you just schedule something. Sometimes I've just like needed a, a, a kick in the butt and just said, you know what, I'm just going to schedule something then that's going to make me train because i i don't want to lose you right know? so i just like it'll make me come in here and push myself and then i noticed like doing that hard you know five six week or camp depending on how long some people do it longer than that but like you know i get in better shape i clean up my diet yeah i get better at jujitsu and then and then you, it's like a cycle where each time you add another layer so that that's definitely one of my motivating factors yeah yeah i can definitely <laughs> agree with that it's it's nice to to like set like a hard date it's like, all right i need to be ready for this mm -hmm. at that time and uh, for a lot of folks, that could be anything. It could be a, I don't know, a marathon or a 5K or anything. But, like, setting a hard date for something you have to prepare for, I think that's definitely a good strategy for sure. Um, let's go back a little bit, though, um, because, I mean, you did fight for a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, you've, you've been an athlete for probably your whole life, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious about that, like, when did like what, what what was your start in athletics like what where did you begin yeah i mean um my story's pretty simple <clears throat> I've, I've i've told it a bunch of times but it's like it's it's pretty it's pretty simple but um i uh had, from a small high school my town had a thousand people you know i had 55 in my class crazy small yeah and so didn't have wrestling didn't have football i played baseball and soccer pretty much okay. the whole time played soccer for like 11 years and uh, always was just interested in fighting would always like watch you know all the van damme movies and yeah just you know and um i i literally like i i when the ufc came around i i i would go up to family uh video and I would buy the used VHSs. I'd take them home. Never, never any any idea that I would do that. It yeah. literally was just because I liked to watch it. And uh, so I'd go bring those home, pop them in, watch it. And I, I was like, man, I want to do something like like martial arts at some point. Not thinking about the UFC, just martial arts. And no outlet because I was from a small town. So I went to college, went to the University of Illinois. And as soon as I got there, started trying out sport clubs. Eventually yeah. found jujitsu and. Uh, fell in love with it and then i was like you know what i didn't it, it still wasn't at the stage it is like now so it wasn't i wasn't wanting to fight because um you know it's like oh man i'm gonna be in the ufc i want to fight just because see if my jiu-jitsu would work and get that extra test and just watching it on on the videos i thought it was cool yeah so i actually just started like messaging shows and, and my first one um 
I I actually fought on Dan Severn's card oh, yeah. in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, called the Danger Zone, and uh, I messaged him. I fought. It was in a bar full of smoke. Yeah, I've been <laughs> there. Just, yeah, you know, you know. It's like, <laughs> so yeah, that's that was the start, and uh, and I just I got I got punched a lot. I won by submission, but got punched a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and it was like it was like after that, you know, the adrenaline comes down. I was like. Okay, that was kind of cool. Let's do it again. Yeah, you know, and then just kind of went from there. It's such a surreal feeling after a fight. You know, especially your first one, you win, and mm-hmm. you like the, all, all of the endorphins start coming down. You start to hurt a little mm-hmm. bit, but you're just so amped. Oh yeah, the next day is the worst. It's like, it's like, man, it's like I know I didn't get hit there. Why does that hurt? Yeah, like, I don't <laughs> remember like, like, that yeah, at all. So that, yeah. So when yeah. was that? When, when was your first fight? I cannot remember. It was uh, it was either the summer of two thousand two. Or the summer of 2003. Okay. I started training um, the fall of 99. And then, um, yeah, they, so it was, it was one of those two summers, either 2002 or 2003. So you're already three or four years into your training mm-hmm. before you decided to take a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and where, did you, where, did you, where was that at that you started? It was in tra- Sh- Champaign, Illinois. Champaign, so, Illinois. So, yeah, it was weird because it was kind of difficult for me because um, it was a jiu-jitsu school, and they just – and my coach was really good, but he, it, the focus was jiu-jitsu and Jeet Kune Do. So, like um, – so I had to like I would go to Eastern and train in the wrestling room, and then I would go to Peoria to do my kickboxing. So I was driving all oh, over the place to try to get get the get the training in. So I was one of only a couple of guys from my gym that actually wanted to do MMA. So I was just kind of getting it where I could get it, you know. Yeah, to train, yeah. So. And during that time, I mean, yeah, there probably weren't like any MMA focused gyms. Really, you know, you had to go to the kickboxing or the mm-hmm. boxing gym, and like I said, the the jujitsu school. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, I had one more question. What what sure. small town were you from? Raymond, Illinois. Raymond, yeah, Illinois. Yeah, it's like it's like about halfway between uh, Litchfield and Springfield. Okay, yeah. okay. So you're just a soccer player, mm-hmm. likes likes some movement. I remember being a kid in UFC, like you would hear about it. I'm from like Backwoods, Missouri, and there wasn't like any of that going mm-hmm. on. So mm-hmm. I can remember like kind of hearing about it, and as a kid, I remember thinking. I'll never fight. Why would I ever do that? That's, I just remember it was just so scary sounding. Um, like Ken Shamrock was the man back then. And I was just like, I don't know. Why would you ever do that? I don't want to ever get punched in the head. And then fast forward all these years later, I definitely did that. Yeah. It's crazy. Like people ask all the time, like, why Why would you want to do that? Why do you do that to yourself? And oftentimes I'm like, I have no idea. I actually was just um, looking at some old photos the other day. And it's like, just looking at it, I just felt like I, that was a lifetime ago. I feel like I, I was a totally different person. It was yeah. crazy. Well, you, when you just want to compete, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. um, I always tell people it was just a natural transition from wrestling. Like I wrestled in high school mm-hmm. and a little bit in college. And uh, it was just a, such a natural transition. Like when you want to compete, like that's probably one of the purest forms of competition you're going to find. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean everything's on the table for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's 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 high high risk, high reward. It's it's such a emotional roller coaster. But it's like you know, I feel like the the highs of the highs are worth the lows of the lows. You know. Oh, it really is, dude. And um, I always I used to say that um, I was an adrenaline junkie, but I realized I'm much more of a flow junkie. Mm. Um, I just I really enjoy um, just getting into that state where mm. everything's just clicking. You know what I mean? Like uh, the stakes are high. Mm. Um, you can't think of anything else like. You're just so tuned in, and uh, afterwards, it's almost like a dream, right? It's like you're, it's like you're out of body that whole time, and everything is just going. And then, yeah. when you finally come down, then you get all happy and stuff. And I thought it was, it was the adrenaline I was chasing after, but it was just like that flow state. Yeah, that that resonates with me really well. That, that's that's pretty pretty fascinating because I I think I agree with that. I I, uh, I look back and and the ones that you do well and you win, you look back and. The ones I think that stand out is when you really got in the zone and everything just kind of came together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like you so. knew you won before you ever stepped mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Such a good feeling. Now you, um, you've been on the biggest stage that there is. Um, how how far <coughs> were you into your career whenever you got to the Ultimate Fighter? Uh, the, <laughs> it's funny you ask that. So uh, I, I was older. So th- that was the funny thing is like uh, they, I don't know if people know when I was on on my season of the show. I think. M- Michael Johnson coined the term, but he was calling me old balls because I was <laughs> I was the oldest guy on the show. There was like there was a couple guys that were like eighteen, nineteen, and I yeah. was like going on thirty. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, I think I was twenty nine when I when I um, you know tried out and got accepted to the Ultimate Fighter, and I had um, you know overall I had six fights under the UFC banner, I had four on the show, and then a couple after the yeah. show, and uh, um, but yeah, it was just like it was it was kind of bad, not not bad. I mean, I, I wouldn't change anything. Everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. But yeah. I definitely was on my body. Like you just start to tell when you can't keep up with the young bucks. I was still fine then. I mean, I, honestly, I felt like kind of my prime was like twenty eight. Yeah. And then, um, you know, 
but once uh, that was the, the, my body wasn't what really kind of started to slow me down. Um, it was more that I had opened my gym and I started running my gym and then it was like, Oh man, I got this over here. I'm on the, I'm yeah. on the highest stage to fight, but I'm only training with my own students here and and I'm trying to run the business and it was starting to really take off. So I'm like, man, what, you know, so yeah, put me in a really pr- predicament. You know? Yeah. You see a lot of fighters <laughs> that start a gym and it's almost the decline of their career mm-hmm. because it just takes all your time. Mm-hmm. I remember when, uh, when Tyron Woodley started his gym in the area and there's kind of whispers, but he's never there. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Like yeah. that's why he's able to compete the way yeah. he is because he doesn't run his gym. Yeah. So um, it's so surreal, kind of sitting here with you now because what what year was the Ultimate Fighter? That was season. Was it season two? My, uh, Your season. My, no, mine was uh, mine was uh, twelve. Twelve. Yeah, was it? Oh, it was twelve. That's where you're earlier. I had, I had to think that. about it. No, I was because uh, I was in 2010. GSP and Koscheck. Yeah, I mean yeah. Koscheck was yep. was coaching. Yep. Yeah. I was yeah, it was a, it was pretty wild, but it does feel like a lifetime. Yeah, 2010. It was a, it was the summer of 2010. Okay, yeah, I remember watching <clears throat> that season, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, your jujitsu was just far better than everybody else's. Thanks, man. Yeah, you just I took him down it. and just fucking just implemented you. your will. Thank you. It's kind of crazy. Like last night, Bruce Leroy fought, and he was still, he's still in there, and he was yeah. on my season. That jerk. <laughs> he's still in there, and I'm not. I'm jealous. Jealous. Is, well, how old was he whenever he was on? He there? was he was one of the youngest. I think he was I think he was the one that was 18. Yeah, but, he was uh, super young. Yeah, he was super super young and immature. But you know, hey, I'm happy for his his career. But yeah, it was a long, that was such a long time ago. But yeah, I, I love that. I mean, obviously, I wish I wouldn't have got cut from the UFC so early. But but I the reason why I say it happened for reasons because if I hadn't have gotten cut I probably would have tried to still keep juggling like half-assing the business and half-assing training instead of whole-assing one of them <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean so it's like uh um and, and for sure like the the gym is my longevity like it's, you know it, the, the shelf life is so short for fighter and, yeah. and people don't realize that like if you really sit down there and do the math after taxes you could work like a pretty decent office job and make the same amount of money you really and can it, and, and it does, like you're taking this beating <laughs> on your body and I see so many I see I, I would see so many athletes who are like oh, I want to do that I want to do that because they they kind of they make it look like this rock star lifestyle and then they don't have a plan B and it's like, well, first of all, it's hard to make it there. Yeah. So you got to work your ass off and sacrifice so much. And then even if you do make it there, if you don't keep winning and yeah. you don't have a plan B, yeah. you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, man, it's a short life cycle. And um, so you were, you kind of came up in the time, I started fighting in 2008. So um, I, I remember watching that season very vividly because like that's where I wanted to mm-hmm. be at. And... Um, but that that that's a very short-lived dream for real. I mean, what people don't realize is that uh, a lot of those guys are just broke, mm-hmm. like not doing a oh, whole for sure. <laughs> Like so many people just like barely making ends meet, just chasing the dream, chasing mm-hmm. the dream. And then uh, when you get there, I mean, it's it really isn't that long-lived of a dream. Like no. it's some people make it, and some people make a lot of money, but. Um, you actually were kind of I don't know maybe the tail end of where like if you were in the UFC that like it was a super big deal like mm-hmm. there because there weren't it was a very elite club yeah then, you know what I mean yep. and then now there's like a shit ton of I'm, yeah dime a dozen I've yeah. trained with so many UFC fighters mm-hmm. it's crazy there's a dime a dozen no and I, I was actually thinking about that a few weeks ago I was thinking the same thing I was like I was like man it like and, and not saying like I mean it's still something to be super For proud sure. of but 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 I agree with you I feel like it meant a little bit more because they they just got so many more people and have passed through. And, and because the shelf life is so short, it just cycles and cycles and cycles. So, so many more people get there and what have you. But yeah, I feel like then I was like, I was like, I was just so blessed, and I, I, was, I was just almost in, in disbelief. I remember driving in my car <clears throat> from the gym to my home when I got the call that I was accepted, and I just man, I can't, I can't describe that that feeling. Yeah, and um, it was just awesome. I just I kind of though you know from my competitive side, l- like taking the business aspect out of it. You know, I was bummed because I, th- I, I know why. I know I'm super boring fighter. I'm like a very, like, you know, do do as, you know, as little as you can. Like, like don't throw a ton of strikes. Try to drag them Efficiency. to the ground. You know, yeah, it's, it, and, and I'm not like, super exciting. I don't take a lot of risks. So I knew, I knew, um, it, like, it was just bad timing for me because, you know, I did pretty well on the show. I won my first three by submission. And then, I uh, you know, I lost a decision to the winner, uh, Jonathan Brookins. And then I had a couple fights after that. I won, won one and I lost one. But they had already kind of told my coach because that was the same time they absorbed the WEC. Okay. So not only was our season lightweights, but then they absorbed all the lightweights from the WEC. Yeah. So they told my coach kind of like, you were going to start cutting people. And then my first loss after the show, um, it, it was gone, but I knew it wasn't, it wasn't so much like, 
you know, they, they were just kind of, you know, trimming the fat. And, yeah. um, and, and I think part of the fact that I was a boring fighter, not like, Hey, let's go out here and just take a bunch of brain damage. Yeah. You know, I was easy to let go, you know? Well, dude, during that time <laughs> when they absorbed the WC, I mean, that's when they got like Brian Stan mm. and he was out there just like mm. throwing haymakers mm. and putting people to sleep. Yeah. And that's what people love to see. And, uh, what I think in 80, was it, uh, Carlos Conda, I think he was at 70 still at that time. He's still at 70. But, yeah, they had just so many exciting fighters who were willing to, like, put their brain on the mm. line. And um, I'm just so conflicted with that. Yeah. Because did you ever start worrying about your brain? I did. I did, man, because I, I got a couple of knockouts. Like, the guys who knocked me out, I got knocked out a couple of times, and they were all, like, tough dudes that knock a lot of people out. And I had, probably <laughs> had no business fighting. I fought Spencer Fisher, and I fought uh, Bart Palaszewski, and, um, you know, and then I got I got knocked out in the UFC once. But um, I, I really th – that's that's kind of the, the thing. That's That was more my deciding factor. It was, like, one, the business was, was definitely going and it was pushing me in that direction but I remember the conversation with my wife because after UFC cut me and I, I kind of had a heart to heart with my coach Mark Fiore he was an awesome guy and um, and he said hey let's do this let's sign with uh, Cage Warriors and fight overseas and um, and let's let's get back in there because Cage Warriors is just a stepping stone back in the UFC anyway yeah. or to get to the UFC anyway so I was like, all right. So I signed a four-fight deal with them. I'm like, man, I'll just travel around. I'd already traveled a little bit and fought in some different – I fought for Bodog. I was on one of their seasons nice. and, um, you know, got to travel and, and jiu-jitsu and stuff like that. I got to travel and what have you. But, it, like, I was like, man, that's awesome because the, I was friends with uh, one of the head guys. And he's like, yeah, just tell me the city you want to fight in. I mean, they're in, like, Budapest and Dubai and that's all cool. these places. So um, the first one that I was on was Beirut, Lebanon. And so I was in the Middle East and – um and I was like, oh, let's do this. And I fought a tough guy. It was the main event. I fought a guy, I think he was like 18 and 5. And, um, you know, it, it was kind of weird because the fight almost kind of went backwards. Like, like, like I, I got the better of him striking and he took me down a couple of times. So it was, it was, it was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. But I can't remember if it was the second or third round. I shot in for a takedown and he went like this. And right, right as I drove, I, I uh, hit his elbow. And oh. it's huge cut. Gash, just squirting blood everywhere. Shit. See my skull. And it was, it was so frustrating because, like, it wasn't even he hit me and it wasn't anything intentional it just literally happened and they had to, they ruled the tko so anyway they stitched me up um and then uh i came back talked to my wife about it and it's just kind of like one of those things where because the, the plan was to win a couple fight in their like four-man tournament try to win their lightweight belt and then get back in the ufc but if you think about it i was already what 31 32 yeah and that would have been you know another four years right. whatever probably or three three years three years, three years. yeah probably two three years because you fight yeah two three times a year so so a couple more years and then there's no guarantee so i just yeah. sat down and had that heart to heart with my wife and she's like really babe do you really want to do this and and i was kind of like you know I don't know if if I, I at that time like man if I ever want, want to have kids one day I want to make sure that yeah I, I have my wits about me you know so. yeah I I really started worrying about my brain a lot I've never been knocked out in a fight before I've definitely had you know, like a flash knockout in practice yeah. one time you got hit just dropped to a knee came right back up and I've definitely had my bell rung a few different times but uh, yeah once I started worrying about my brain all the time it just changes the whole ball game absolutely absolutely um now yeah dude elbows. <sighs> Quick little cut like that, mm -hmm. just in transition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's gotta be frustrating. It's frustrating. It'd be, yeah. You know, hey, you know, hats off to the guy. He's tough and and uh, but it's just you know, hey, you hate going out with like that and that yeah. being your last fight. You know, yeah, because so. thirty's not even old, right? I yeah. mean, thirty, thirty-one. And I realistically, like men, we hit our physical prime usually about like twenty-eight to thirty-four, mm -hmm. thirty-five-ish. Um, I, I think of like some of the most recent, like more recent champs, like Tyron Woodley, for example. Mm -hmm. I think he's like thirty-five or thirty-six mm -hmm. right now, still killing it. Yeah, but when you compete for so long and, yeah. and it's hard on your body like yeah. your body can only hold up for you know probably 10 12 years yeah and that, well and that's that's the thing too is the mileage it's just like just between you know <clears throat> having all those fights for you know that long and then um you know do i was always doing jujitsu in between like yeah. i was still competing like very regularly um you know i was still i mean even the year i competed a lot the year i was in the ultimate fighter yeah um <clears throat> excuse me so it's just like <clears throat> i think now the the you know the wear and tear is like kind of adding up. I know I can do jujitsu for a long time, yeah, <clears throat> and uh, keep competing. But man, the MMA it was just after a while. I noticed like a lot of people were like, "Oh, you know, after you turn thirty, your metabolism changes and this and that." 
And I didn't really notice like a physical decline at all until like I remember specifically the year of like between 32 and 33. I just felt like, man, the injuries nag a little bit longer. Yeah. And I just felt a little slower. And then um, now I'm kind of in one of those years too. Where like right now I feel like, oh, man, I turned 40 this year. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm feeling it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's okay. so what do you do for like recovery? Do you, do you have any protocol? That's the problem. I don't. <laughs> no problem. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I put that as one of my goals this year to, to spend more time. But honestly, up to this point, really nothing just just listening to my body like if i'm beat up i'll take some time off but as far as like prehab rehab um yeah man, i was like really not doing anything my my trainer's always on me he's like dude he's like it's hard for me to work with you because it's like every time we should be just lifting like half the time is spent like trying to fix things that are wrong with you yeah so um so but my year my goals in this year and I, I have been actually making time to uh you know do a little work i got some you know pretty tough elbows right now so um, but uh, other than that, I don't really have the structure to anything. I oh, just man. Train, man. I just yeah, train. we got to get you some sort of recovery <laughs> protocol, dude. Some cryotherapy or foam rolling. I know. I've been feeling it lately, man, so I got to do something. Yeah. Have you tried the cryotherapy place? Yeah, I have. Here? I have. They've let me come in a couple of times, and, um, and it's great. Yeah, it feels great. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever tried floating? Yes. Like the float tanks? I'll tell you what, though, man. I have a little baby bladder, and the one time I floated, like, it was awesome for the first, like, like 15 minutes, and then I, I had to take a leak, and I'm like, all I could think about is, like, how bad I had to get out and use the bathroom, <laughs> so I, it was not enjoyable. I probably would give it another try, but yeah. I don't know if I could last an hour. Yeah, yeah. They had me go to the bathroom beforehand, so I yeah. didn't do that, yeah. but uh, I felt like the magnesium just feels so good on yeah. your muscles. I had a terrible neck crank, and um, I couldn't get into a massage therapist in time, so I just went and did floating, mm. and the magnesium felt really good on my muscles it's yeah. probably it's a good way to go i like I'm, it i'm willing to yeah for sure to give it a, another try i remember one thing that was nice like i know some people hate ice, ice baths but um those are great you know, like um I, I don't i just feel like i don't have time to do it now but it, one, one of the nice things when we were on the show was that we had a little bat phone and you could just kind of call and order whatever you wanted and um so like every day after training they would have like a, an ice bath ready for you really yeah it's pretty cool so i remember that being awesome but now it's just like man i don't it's just one of those things where like when you're super busy and I'm not like acting busier than anyone else, everyone's busy, but I'm just saying like when you, when you shuffle things around and prioritize, it seems like rehab or things like that are always something like, Oh, I can do that another time. You yeah. Know, you push it to the side. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. Health tends to go to the wayside a lot of times mm -hmm. when people are prioritizing different things, especially when you're running a business. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the, I mean, your, your phone's probably, went off the, like it's, like it's been vibrating yeah, yeah dude, like people are always trying to get a hold yeah, of you right yeah. so um yeah i like cryotherapy i don't do it often do you use the sauna much do you have a sauna here no and it has been i've shopped i've shopped on it um so it's something i'm, I'm entertaining i've got i still got several rooms in here that i haven't figured out what i'm going to do with yet um and i thought about it i just haven't pulled the trigger yet oh okay yeah, yeah i love the sauna like mm. 10 or 15 minutes of the sauna mm. after training is like one of the best things you could do just for long from yeah. a longevity standpoint I think I'm I'm jaded on the sauna. I mean, I I for sure I like it, and I and I've done it other times since then. But gosh, I think I think Matt Hughes ruined it for us. Like he uh, he used to torture us. Like, yeah. Yeah. He had, when one guy had a fight, he would make us do like mandatory team sauna. Everybody would go in, wow. and you can't leave until he says you could leave. Oh man. Oh, it was awful, and he would just keep pouring water on it, swinging a towel. I mean, there was a couple times I was sitting there that I literally thought like my lips were starting to burn off of my face. Like, it got so hot in there with, like, 20 dudes in the sauna. Fuck, dude. And just kept pouring water on it. He's like, he's like, nope, we're not leaving until I say it's time. And, yeah. oh, man, that sticks with you. Dude, well, one, that's a huge sauna. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is, it is. Like, it's like, well, maybe, maybe not 20, but, like, let's say, like, 10, 10. But there's, like, two rows. There's yeah. a lower row and an upper row. Yeah. And, uh, oh, man. He's an but, intense dude. Yeah, super intense. Yeah, man. He just had a bad accident <clears throat> not that long. I guess it's probably been a while ago now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Man. Is try to keep track of the timeline, but um, yeah. So you probably have a lot of crazy stories like oh that, right? Gosh. Oh my gosh, man! I, it, it's so so wild. I, I won't get into them, but I, like how it kind of played out, though, is like you know when I when I accepted the position to come down here and start teaching there at the gym. Um, the they it was on that old military depot. Yeah, the Hitchcock. Right? Yeah, yeah. Grant City. Yep, and they had. Um, they converted the the barracks into dorms, mm -hmm. and I was actually the first guy to move in because I'm like, man, it's right across the street. Perfect. And yeah, it's perfect. So, but imagine, I mean, at any given time, that whole span I was there, we had all kinds of fighters from like every state. We had all kinds of international guys come in. Any given time, there'd be somebody from Australia, somebody from Germany, someone from uh, Finland. You know, just all these people would come in, and they would stay there for anywhere from 
a couple weeks to like six months. Some guys stayed there almost the whole time I was there. Like we had one German guy that came by, like came back and stayed. He'd stay for like six, nine months at a time. And um, so it was like, if you can imagine, I mean, it was like, it was like college dorms all over again. Yeah. And, but with all with like fighters full of testosterone. So it was like work hard, train really hard during the week and then crazy weekends. Oh like yeah. Just, just get nuts, like play hard. And I have so many, so many crazy stories, like so many stains in my car from I can blood, imagine. puke, different things. I mean, it just, oh, gross. Dude, testosterone and head trauma. <laughs> like you got, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster yeah. right there, dude. Guys going crazy. For yeah. Sure. The hit squad was probably a crazy time at that, you know, during that time because, uh, I mean, when Matt Hughes' name was still attached mm -hmm. to it and it was, it was super new. I don't think there were a lot of camps in the country where mm -hmm. people could come and stay mm -mm. and then um i guess that was probably not too long after militage like that camp probably went away mm -hmm. so people were just looking for another hard-nosed camp to travel to mm -hmm. yeah and it was wild we got everybody from like you know s some people that came that just wanted to see if fighting was for them and yeah. then there were some people that came there that like, already had a ton of experience were super tough but like hats off to you know the team that was working there and um and uh you know, especially Mark Fiore for kind of holding it together. But, man, I think during the time I was there, I think last count was we sent 13 or 14 people to the UFC during, like, a three-and-a-half-year span. Yeah. So it was, pretty, it was pretty pretty good. And uh, um, But uh, but it was there was no shortage of, like, when you go in there, there was oh, yeah. hard training every every session. That, I think that's what took the toll on my body because, <clears throat> um, you know, just no disrespect to Matt, but Matt ran it, like, um, like we're just gonna be tougher than everybody, so we're just gonna have hard practices versus like the yeah. more the, the you know the you know John Danaher was my coach on the Ultimate Fire. His approach was very like systematic and efficient and trying to like you know not like say, you know save your body and like you know we still trained hard, but it wasn't it was just complete contrast to stuff. And I was very like we're gonna be in shape, we're gonna be tough, we're gonna be mentally tough, and um, um, so it was good. But I think that's what really put the mileage on my body because we would do. Um, you know, two sessions every day, Monday through Thursday. So it was always like conditioning, strength and conditioning in the morning. And then it was either live sparring yeah. or it was live grappling with punches. And then we do Friday full MMA gear and then Saturday training as well. But it was just like doing, you know, two a days every day for like four years when, because I, I was expected to do it because I was a coach. Yeah. So it was like, it was kind of like, oh, well, you're a coach. You should, you know, you got to lead by example. So it was one of those things we, like two a days should be like a training camp for something. I was doing two a days for almost four years. It was just, it was yeah. just to put a ton of That's brutal. I mean, you're fighting yeah. every day. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that makes sense. That's how he grew up in the, in that military system mm -hmm. where they were just banging. Like it was him and Tim Sylvia and Robbie Lawler mm -hmm. and just all those dudes just in there fighting like crazy. So he brought you down to coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where, where, Go ahead. I'd say, where were you at before that? So I was, I was still in Champaign. I actually had, um, uh, like I, I stayed there after, you know, after college, I got a pretty lucrative office job and, um, and was just training on the side and still fighting and just through a couple of, you know, what I said, what I would say is meant to be, but weird coincidence, uh, things happening you know my name got dropped by multiple people to uh the group when they were opening the gym and um said hey this guy's fairly local he's been you know doing pretty well for himself and um let's let's bring him down here so i was at my my number got passed on to uh coach fiore and i was sitting in my office working i was operations manager for the kaplan center in champaign and uh got a call and he's like hey this is you know this is mark fiore from matt hughes gym and you know, we heard about you. I wonder if you'd want to interview for a position being a head jiu-jitsu coach. I, I was in disbelief. I was just kind of, you know, so it was pretty wild, man. I had a, I was in a six-year relationship that was kind of, kind of at a crossroads anyway. But, you know, we had a couple of dogs and lived together and, yeah. and I left it all. I said, you know what, I'm, I'm out and, uh, you know, packed up all my stuff and, you know, left Champagne, came to St. Louis because I was like, man, I can, I can have this awesome office job and, they were even grooming me for a director's role in Chicago where it had been like high stress, high pay. I was like, oh, I could do this. Yeah. I could live my dream, maybe make a little less money. And uh, it was the best decision I could have made. Yeah, dude. Here, you the know, the so. dream is definitely the way to go. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you have such a successful gym here Thank now. You. Thank um, you. So once you left that gym, is that when you started your gym? Or what so, was that timeline like? So, yeah. So um, I moved down in 2008. <clears throat> and I was there opening day, ribbon cutting. Robbie was there, you know. Matt was there, like all these people. I was like I was still in kind of disbelief, and I was there for a while. But the problem was, is and, and this is no, um, 
I will say there's no no finger pointing. I should I should have known all the all the time in my back of my head it was too good to be true. But the gym had a bunch of great guys. I've said this many times, but a bunch of great guys that all had great intentions, but none of them had run a business before. Yeah. So um, they were catering to fighters, which um, you know, no offense. Yeah, no offense. I mean, if you, if you want to run a business, it's hard. It's hard. It's, yeah. it's difficult. And um, you know, it was just like kind of like it was all fighters, and half of them were paying, and just you know, mm-hmm. it's how it goes. So it started to like hemorrhage money left and right, and the guy that was kind of the financial backer had gotten to the point where he's like, "All right, man, I'm done. I'm done with the play money. It's now it's it's real money. So we gotta, yeah. you know, it's like either someone's gonna buy it or or um or we have to close the doors and and a buyer came in you know and bought the gym and um uh and at that time i was like you know what um i i just feel like i want to have full quality control i want to be able to like make decisions that like i know that this decision is the best for the students and no one can tell me that's not the best decision and um it was scary it was super scary but yeah. i was just like you know i know i can do this i'll i'll i'll, I'll work night and day and and no sh- and make sure there's no possibility that it'll, that it will fail. I just was I, I was scared, but I just knew how hard I would work. I knew yeah. my work ethic, and so I just took the risk. And um, and then that was 2011, summer of 2011. I uh, I opened my first gym. It was like 2,600 square feet, one bathroom, one unisex changing room. Yeah, and then outgrew that in about two years. Moved to a 6,000 square foot place. And, um, <clears throat> and that was awesome. Push hours in there. It was nice. Great. But it was still, my landlord told, always made sure it was clear that I wasn't in his uh, grandmaster plan and, mm. that, and I wanted to be able to control my own destiny. So I had been shopping for a while and then came across this place. It's 10,000 square feet and, yeah. uh, and rehabbed it and that's rock and rolling. Yeah, man, this is a huge facility. Thanks, um, how long did the rehab take? Um, I think I, so I started, I think the rehab started at the end of September, maybe early October and we moved in February 26th was opening day. Oh yeah. So you yeah. were going hot and yeah. heavy to get this ready. Yeah. And it was, it was tough, man. Cause I was running the other place and it was like every day I was there, then here, there, then here and orchestrating all the construction and just kind of, oh man, I'm so glad that's over. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. Yeah. But when you're like, when you're a competitor, um, I mean, it, a lot of competitors don't have that um, that business acumen. But mm-hmm. if you do have that business acumen, it's um, I mean, it's almost a, it's, I mean, it's, it is a recipe for success, right? Because you can take that same drive and that same discipline mm-hmm. and just apply it to a different area in life, yeah. which is business. Mm-hmm. And like, success is inevitable. Yeah. Well, you know, um, you know, my my coach always used to say, um, you know, success leaves footprints, and um, and it for sure does. So, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can look at what other people are doing well. But also I was pretty blessed in the sense that that job that I had at Kaplan was like all, like the parallels between that job and this job are, are pretty amazing. Like I it was, it was a very customer service based role where I was constantly working with students. They were just college students that wanted to take test preparation classes. So I was selling classes and and then making sure that they had a great experience and that everything went well for them and then like the transition was so natural i mean literally like so so many things i did there it's it's like the exact same it's just making sure that you actually treat them like people and not a number and like see what they want like see how you can help them and you know they come in with something that they want some kind of problem they want to solve and as long as you are genuinely invested in solving that problem they'll you know be a member with you for a long time right yeah i mean because a lot of people i mean you walk into a new gym and it's scary right Mm -hmm. you don't know anybody you feel like um you're, well, you do kind of stick out like a sore thumb because mm-hmm. you're new. Yeah. But um, it's it's so important just to have like a welcoming atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been pretty blessed to have like awesome coaches that help me that are really, um, you know, I put the coaches in place that are like just like very good people that they're super passionate about it so that, that they kind of give that passion, that yeah. vibe off, you know. And I think it's one of those things where it also comes down to your – your gym philosophy too, because, um, you know, there's, there, I don't want to take away from anybody because I think everybody has success in their own way and everybody has their own gym approach. And, and, um, there's some gyms that are just like straight up, like I'm a competition school. I run it for competition and, and, um, and that's what they want to do. And they create, you know, world champions, pan champions, whatever. And that's great. And, and, and I, and I definitely look up to those guys. I just, my approach is a little different. I, um, I don't use that as my metric. I think, you know, I don't know who said it. It might've been Stefan Kesting or somebody I was reading it or, watching and he was talking about how like think about on the way to black belt like all the things that you all all the positive things that can you know affect your life uh, like by the time you get your black belt 
you for sure will experience those things like weight loss, um, you know, you know, fitness, um, maybe a little bit better at self-defense, confidence, tons of friendships and networking. Yeah. Um, the list goes on and on and on. So I feel like my approach and my, like, like my metric is like getting the most people to do martial arts the longest period of time. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you know that if they, if somebody comes in and they, they just do it for a couple of weeks and they quit and then go do something else, you know, you, they didn't get the value, you know, think about like, you know, for you, like doing jujitsu, like how long you've done and how amazing it is. And like, like imparting that on someone, if they, yeah. you know, can stay all the way to black belt, or even purple belt, brown belt, you know what I mean? Yeah. All the experiences they're going to get out of it. So I think sharing all the, that, all those positives with as many people and getting them to stay and do it not even from a business standpoint. I'm just saying from this, the, this, the aspect of longevity, like other than the wear and tear on your joints. Yeah. There's so many positives you experience along the way. So if you can get the most people to do it the longest amount of time. You know yeah. I want I love that philosophy yeah. because, um, I mean, even the wear and tear on your joints, like that can be mitigated with mm-hmm. like kind of your style of training. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to train, as hard as some of the young guys do, you know what I mean? You can flow roll or just work on your technique and different things. So there's ways to kind of get around that. Cause I say all the time, I'm going to train until I die. Mm -hmm. Like I'll just always train. Like there's get buried in your gi. Yeah, for real, dude. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the only way to go. But, um, yeah, I have the more, um, I, uh, get, I guess the more I get, uh, embedded into the jujitsu community as I've kind of transitioned away from like the MMA side of Mm -hmm. things, and I've just experienced, like, there's a whole spectrum in the community of jiu-jitsu. I mean, you have some schools that are extremely formal. Um, and I, so formal to where, like, you're not allowed to approach a higher belt and even mm. ask them to roll. Mm. Or, like, you have to go face the wall if you're going to tie <coughs> your belt. Yep. I'm not I'm not so hip on, like, that formal. I need a few notches down. Yeah. But then you got some schools that are the complete opposite to where it's just, like, we're all just bros and, like, no one's in there. Like, yeah, they're just changing their clothes out in the open and yeah. not wearing shoes in the bathroom. Like the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, like, we don't call people professor yeah. or whatever the case may be. So, like, yeah. I've been able to experience this kind of traveling and going to some of these other gyms. And um, it's it's a crazy spectrum that you mm-hmm. see out there. It is, it is. But I mean, but it's, it's such a cool community, and it's like one of the things I think is so neat is just how how opening how open it is. It's like I have so many students that have traveled and be hey, Kyle, do you know a gym here? And we even started a map like so. I I, I pulled my students. I said, hey, if anybody's had a gym that you went to and you had a, a great experience, not just a good experience, like a great experience, with great people, and you recommend it, tell me, and we'll put it on the map so that whenever we have we have a traveler's list. So any of the oh, guys cool. want to travel, you know, they know, Hey, if I'm going to Portland, I'm going to go here. If I go here, you know, just to yeah. kind of help out. So I try to like always create like different resources for my students. But back to the the point is that, uh, just the community. It's like the, you rarely will go a place and not be welcome in kind yeah. of open arms, you know? So. Right. Yeah. I went to uh, <laughs> Chicago a few weeks ago and I went to uh, the gym was called Brazil 21. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And great uh, guys there. Yeah. Yeah. That the, the, one of the owners is him is a husband and wife mm-hmm. owner and yep. he, you know, he's the head ref for IBJJF. Yep, yep. So mm-hmm. I got yelled at a couple of times <laughs> <laughs> in there, which I felt pretty good about that coming from, I mean, you're familiar with St. Charles. Yeah, of course, I mean, of we're course. probably on that opposite end of like pretty lax. Yeah. yeah. And I'm um, Training MMA for so long, like you, you, you just kind of go for things that probably aren't allowed in yeah. jiu-jitsu. So there's one position I was uh, I was stepping over. I went for a knee slice and he stopped it. So I kind of stepped back over. And obviously, like the knee bar is there. Yeah. I wasn't going for the knee bar, but mm-hmm. I touched the knee bar. And as uh, soon as I touched it, I got yelled at. He's like, no, <laughs> like, nope, no, nope, nope, nope. Brown belts only. Uh, like, you got to go in the corner. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, he was nice to me. Uh, I should have. Yeah, he was super nice. And then another time I touched a heel hook on a blue belt. And, uh, yeah, you're just not supposed yeah. to do that. Well, my, my thing on that, too, is uh, – and again, it's not when I say it. It's not like every. I think everybody. That's a cool thing about running your business. You have the freedom to run it how you want to run it. Yeah. But my my approach, I just feel like, if you if you um, like looked at my numbers of of people, I <clears throat> I would say like, you know, ten percent or less compete. So it's like, I don't know why you should inform everybody's grappling ability to the idea of competition because yeah. you know it, it's like one of those things too where there's so many. There's so many joint locks that are like looked at, like frowned upon, and like have kind of a bad rap, like wrist locks and different yeah. leg locks. And it's like, if if you and you're, you're rolling with somebody and you guys both understand the mechanics enough to not get hurt, then why shouldn't you be able to go for it? You know, I, yeah. I can understand like not going for heel hooks on white belts because they might turn the wrong way and hurt themselves. But I mean, if if someone's not planning on competing, 
Maybe maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But yeah. l- let's take that out of it. Why should you limit their ability to be, to be the best grappler they can be? And yeah. I think you can be the best grappler you can be if you can do pretty much anything within s- safety margins. Right. You know, so that's kind of my thing. Well, yeah, 100%. <coughs> I, I mean, I got his point because, I mean, obviously he's he's in that box of IBJJF. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, Brown Bus can do this. And, you know, you're only supposed to do this and this. And also from the safety standpoint, um, I pride myself on being like one of the safest persons, to, like people to roll with in the mm-hmm. gym. Um so a guy coming off the street, he doesn't know me. Yeah, you know true. what I mean? So you got to keep, yeah. keep safety in perspective. So th- I, I understand that. But um, I, I like to just, um, like, I'll touch something, but I won't ever, like, fully lock it mm-hmm. up. It's like I'm all about, like, position over submission. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I have this position. I have control. It's like mm-hmm. you and I both know if I really wanted this, I could take this right now. But sure. at least we just acknowledged it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I feel like. The whole Midwest, and, and maybe it's just the city, I feel like we have a weak leg-locking community. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's growing. Um, I think it's growing, and I think people are looking into it because I feel like they know if they don't, they're going to get passed up, and yeah. they're going to get caught. And <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think so. I, I I'm, And I'm not really sure exactly. I think there's more than one factor, you know, contributing to that. But I think, uh, but I think overall, and, and I think probably, too, because you, you see – you know, that that shadow on leg locks and that stigma for so long and I think that, you know, where there's way more jiu jitsu schools the there's there's more places where the progressiveness can creep in, you know, whereas like I think it's slowly coming to the Midwest, but you know what I mean it's yeah. like there's probably still that stigma because you know, it just takes a little bit longer for yeah. things to kind of hit here, you know. Yeah, I wonder where that came from. I mean, why why is it looked at as like a dirty little thing? Well, I heard, and I don't know if this is true, so I'm pleased if anybody listens to this, don't quote me on this. I just heard this, I don't know if I read it or whatever, but, you know, there used to be that old, like, uh, feud between, like, BJJ and Luta Libre. It was, like, looked at as, like, gi versus no gi. Like, oh, from Brazil. Yeah, so Luta Libre, I mean, in, like, free fighting, like, okay. in Portuguese. So it was, like, no gi guys, like, and gi guys would, like, like, always you know squabble and and um and and the the luta livre guys i think were pretty versed in leg locks and so it was like looked on as like dirty because like the uh, mm. the, the gi guys like had this feud with like yeah. oh no gi's dirty yeah leg locks are dirty you know yeah, that's that's cheers. just what i had heard i don't again like i said don't quote me on that but um, I'm sure there's some some old school guys out there that could probably confirm or deny that. So. Yeah, yeah, it's just so fascinating. But I mean, I quickly <coughs> realized that when you want to compete at a high stage, like mm-hmm. a high level, that mm-hmm. leg locks are just there. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I for went sure. down to uh, to Austin and I got invited to the Onnit Open, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, I just got to see some really high level mm-hmm. nogi grappling, and yeah. that really changed my mind. Like quickly like oh you have to be doing this yeah yeah well and and even myself like i hear i i let let my guys do pretty much everything i i'll even let some of my my blue belts like heel hook i just tell them like you know catch and release and make sure it's on somebody that knows yeah. the mechanics but other than the heel hook the, my guys can go over everything i let them i let them do everything knee bars toe holds whatever i mean not everybody's good at it, of course because they're still learning everything else and i feel like you know just like that whole thing is like you know try to uh you know, get good at basics and escapes first before you're like focusing on all these crazy, crazy yeah. things. But, um, I think one of the, one of the, one of the advantages I have of being old man's division is that, um, I think most of them kind of come from the same era. So they're not that great at lug lugs either. <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm okay. You know, I'm okay at them, but like, that's not my, that's my, not my forte, not my area. So it's kind of nice. Cause like I said, I'm, I'm fighting master two now. So I'm usually fighting other guys that are kind of probably like yeah. <laughs> similar in approach, you know? Yeah. That's so, funny, man. So. Um, are you going to do worlds this year? Master worlds? You know, I don't know, man. I want to, um, I want to stay busy, but man, I just have so much going on. Like I'm getting new mats here. Um, so that's going to knock out some time of like taking up the old ones, putting on new ones. Um, I have oh I I have, I'm, I'm selling a, I'm selling a house I'm working hard to get that on the market so just like a, like a bunch of like other irons in the fire, and I I sat down with my wife and went through the planner because she's busy she's a she's an ER nurse and she's got you know works twelve hour shifts so I got to like time it right with the daycare and kids yeah. and stuff like that so we sat down and went through every weekend for the whole year and like hey when do you work when do you don't work and then I just circled all the ones that are maybe so there's there's quite a few yeah um, but I just got to wait a little bit longer and see how the how the year plays out and um. But uh, I'm for sure going to do something. Like, Austin was my first one. I usually like to do, you know, four or five decent-sized ones. Um, and then hopefully I get a super fight in this year somewhere, like a like a get asked to do one there. But um, um, I'm not sure what's next. I think 
Um, these next couple months are busy. I'll probably do New York in April. Um, maybe I'll probably do Chicago in May. Maybe Master World. So we'll see. yeah, we'll you've done a lot of traveling with the sport. Yeah. What's uh What's been like your 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 go to place that you like? Either you have went to quite a few times with competition, mm -hmm. or you'd like to go back to. I mean, hands down, people always ask me like, where's the best place you've been, or best place you've been is definitely Brazil. Like I've yeah. been to Brazil five times, um, always, and it was before Hoyler moved to the states. So it was when Hoyler was still in okay. you know, main Gracie Humaita. And, yeah, you know, two of the years I got to go. Actually, he took us to Grandmaster Halo before he passed away. Oh, we went to his cool. house, met him, ate lunch with him. Yeah, uh, saw the place where all of them grew up training, and oh. uh, so I got to do some pretty cool stuff. Um, but yeah, trained there with a bunch of bad dudes. Got to, you know, train with Solo. Got to train with Rafael Lovato. Like just yeah, you know. savages. But yeah, but um, but just been you know been around a lot of cool stuff. Been to you know Russia, Japan, Australia, Middle East, um, UK. I taught some seminars over there. Um, yeah, just all over, man. But yeah, and then, then states all over. But I'd say out of, out of all, all the places. Um, um, I mean, I fought, fought in Costa Rica. I fought on the beach. They set up the ring on the beach for Bodog, and I fought on the beach. That was cool. Yeah. Um, but but I, hands down, it's definitely Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. That's definitely high <laughs> on the list. You speak Portuguese? No, no. I I've tried so many times. I know I know enough. Like when I was down there, I could get by in a, like a taxi or a restaurant by myself. Yeah. Um, like I can string together some pretty terrible sentences, <laughs> but uh, I always try to pretend when because my one of my main training partners here is Brazilian. Um, you, you'll probably meet him today. Um, uh, his name is Junior Silva, and he um. I always pretend like I can speak it, but he makes sure to, you know, let you know. Let me know that I, nah. That's I funny. <laughs> you know, but that's funny. He, we, we always joke, we always hassle, like, uh, you know, we're always making sure to the bash the Brazilian refs for, for cheating us gringos. We always, uh, we always make sure we, we, we say it loud and clear around him. <laughs> yeah. It's prevalent. It is prevalent. That's a real thing. It is a real thing. I know. It's funny. Oh my goodness. But yeah, I, it, um, it's funny too. This weekend, I I told I told Sanders I got a grudge match against him today when he comes in because he uh, he misscored one of my students' matches. So oh I said, yeah, yeah. I told him it's on today. <laughs> <laughs> He's put together a good team out there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for man. Sure. So, what are your thoughts on um, kind of along the lines of competition of like the the recent uprising of just more and more uh, submission only tournaments? Um, man, I, I like it. I think more competitions better. I think just bringing more, um, variety and, um, bringing more, um, just, uh, you know, acclaim and, uh, just interest to the sport, I think is good. Um, I, I don't really get into too much the the debate. I mean, I think there's statistics out there that show, you know, what's, what has a higher submission rate and what have you. And, like whether just like IBJJF tournaments or some of these submission onlys, um, I, I don't I don't really get into that argument. You know, I think it's all good. I yeah, think it's, I think it's good. I think it, I think it's just like you know, hey, whatever you're gonna compete in, understand the rules, train for it that way, and yeah. then go compete. But I think anything, as long as it's well run and they treat the people fairly, I think bringing bringing some more noise towards the jiu-jitsu community, I think is awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm a big fan of that format. Like, because mm -hmm. they're usually like longer matches, <clears throat> yeah. And you don't have to yeah. worry about points, yeah. That's yeah. usually pretty nice. But um, I don't know if I have a preference over mm -hmm. one or the other. It just seems that those. I mean, you just see more and more of those popping up. So mm -hmm. I kind of wonder. I don't. I mean, I don't think IBJJF is really going to go away. Mm -mm. But no. um, I just kind of wonder, like, how much steam will these other ones, you know, make? Like the it's hard, man. They're they're a machine, and it's like as much as you want to complain about them, because I like. There's been times I've been on the wrong end of it and the right end of it, and like, there's so many things that, that are worthy of complaining about. But I mean, they are the they are the they do it the best. They run it the best, and they get the best competition. Like the 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 best people show up. And now some of these other ones that once now that they're they're being able to throw money at them, they're getting the big names going yeah. to some of these other shows. But you know. Um, I, I, I think it's all good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I, I want to compete in some other ones too, but just, you know, sometimes it's just hard, like schedule wise to, yeah. you know, and, um, and then flying all the way out to California and what have you, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah. Dude, they're, they're throwing some real money behind jujitsu nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I think it's the world series of jujitsu grappling. Like mm -hmm. I think, uh, I know for, I believe it was like blues and purples. They could win like $10,000. Oh. I think it was even more than that for browns and blacks yeah or maybe it was ten thousand for browns and blacks and a little like five thousand for the others but either way 10k to win a tournament is pretty yeah. legit well before i think it was just such a a, a, a niche that like like so small that i think they, they that um 
people didn't you know didn't want to throw the money at it but now they can see like you know how the interest in the sport and how fast it, i mean it's like wildfire man it's just growing everywhere yeah and uh so i can see how i can see how there's more money popping up in it yeah i wonder if and i just had this thought i wonder if it's growing so much because of social media maybe maybe i think well i think it's too though just that whole exponential factor if you look at like you know think about it when by the time people get like I, it's almost a frustrating thing and a good thing all at once. It's like a double-edged sword. But if you think about it, like there's so many people that think by the time they get their purple belt, maybe a little higher, like like high purple belt, low brown belt, they're kind of like, man, this is awesome. And I, I've kind of already dedicated this much of my life to it. I was like, I want to do it for you. You just see that natural transition where people are like, well, that looks like an awesome job. All you have to do is just teach a couple hours a day. That's what they think. <laughs> yeah, that's all <laughs> You know what I mean? So, so uh, you know, but, uh, but, but so many people like, like open up gyms and um and then and, and that's where the exponential factor comes in because it's like you know let's just say you create over however many years you create you know 10 to 20 guys that go off their own way and they open a gym that has you know let's say yeah. anywhere from 50 to 100 students and then they have a few that go and open a gym you know what i mean yeah. so it's just it is crazy. a double edged sword though right yeah cuz yes, it's frustrating cuz that's that's one of the things too is like and and it's hard for me to say that because i i started teaching as a um as a uh I think it was a three, you know, two or three stripe purple belt, but it was, the situation was different. I was doing it as a trade off. I was doing, I was teaching in, in exchange for Muay Thai instruction. Okay. So it wasn't like I was opening up a gym. I wasn't making any money off it or anything like that, yeah. but I started teaching that way. But I look at it now and now it is like that. There are a lot of purples and browns that are just like, oh, I'm going to open a school because I know how to teach jiu-jitsu. I'm going to open a school. And, um, yeah. and, you know, I heard from, you know, I was re- listening to a, another podcast the other day talking about how the, the failure of how some people think that you can d- make a business around a technical skill and nothing yeah. else. So like you just have a technical skill. So you think that'll make you be able to run a successful business, yeah. which is often not But you true. know nothing about business. Yeah. 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 So it just, so it's hard. Sometimes I feel like the devil edged sort of it is that like, not only that waters it down, but I think that people, if they have a bad experience with martial arts, they'll stop doing it. And like yeah. I was telling you before, like with kind of my approach, it's like if someone has a bad a bad experience and then they never do it again, they lost that that lifetime of benefits they yeah. could have had yeah. versus going to a legitimate school that they would that would have stoked that fire and like kept them. You know? Yeah. Even if it wasn't there, even like I've had so many students that like because you know we're close by colleges, I've had so many people. Um, you know, train here for a while, get the bug, love it, and then ask me, hey, Kyle, where should I train when I move? Because they graduate or they yeah. get a job somewhere or they're in the military or whatever. And then they're still training. I'll see them on Facebook posting yeah. their next belt or whatever. And that's awesome because I'm so happy, even if it's not with me, I'm so happy that they just keep going. But someone that might go somewhere and, and have a terrible experience, um, they might not do it. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, and that's a shame because, <clears throat> I mean, for me, the more I've kind of just – falling in love with it it's all about the community mm-hmm. and just getting people to do it mm-hmm. and growing in the community for sure but uh there's sometimes with some of these other gyms or just some of these old school guys it's kind of like a it's like a club mm-hmm. and they don't want other people yeah. in it yeah that's frustrating and and you're right like 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 about people kind of coming in and feeling like all nervous the first time you you know it's like i try to always remember that that um you know when people come in they don't know what to expect and they don't know all the etiquette and they don't know all the rules and they and they don't they're they're a little little timid so you got to be more outgoing with them and you know get yeah. them to get them to understand that you know and and, and feel welcome like they that they're not the outcast like oh you're not just the new person that you're the fresh meat and yeah. these are this is the club over here and you got to earn your way in i mean that's you know i've heard that so many times at their schools that like if you're a visitor and you go in there that they just try to beat you up and it's like yeah. man how is that going to help them be interested in your school or the art itself you know yeah so, it's not so. yeah that was one of the things that really stuck out when i went and visited brazil 21 chicago mm-hmm. i had to shake everybody's hand mm-hmm. and introduce myself yeah. like they it was just kind of just the the culture there they're super friendly, mm-hmm. super, super friendly. Um, ah, I had a thought, and I just – oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, yeah, I know what I was going to say. Uh, so, yeah, I started coaching like two years ago, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, I just teach kids' class. And um, you don't – I didn't realize – I thought I knew jiu-jitsu until I started coaching it. Mm-hmm. And then I just – I realized um, – I got away with a lot of things because I was just like athletic yeah. or um, like I was taught how to do it. So like subconsciously I kind of knew, but I didn't know it to, I didn't have a full understanding cause I wasn't able to verbalize mm-hmm. it or teach it to somebody else. For sure. And then teaching kids class for the past two years has just revolutionized like my whole game. Yeah. Well, I can say, I can give you uh 
you know, commend you quite a bit because, you know, I hear that's pretty rough for the teaching kids class. It's it's a lot of repetition. It can be, yeah. So, <laughs> so hats off to you. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with that completely. I, um, and, and that too, I think is, is one of those things where I think it's gotta be the right time in your career because, um, uh, you know, like we said before, is like if you start coaching, sometimes your own training can take a backseat. So it's hard. So you might, you might, um, miss some improvement there but then you improve in other ways because i think you really like like it's one thing to know how to do a move but to describe it in depth enough for someone else to understand it not only mechanically not only like the the how but the why you would do it yeah and um that requires a a much deeper understanding so if you want to be able to answer their questions and teach them effectively you got to know it at a deeper level so i think that helps a lot of times yeah yeah it's definitely helped a lot and i think of like you mentioned his name earlier john donahue right Mm -hmm. um and, and you've said a few different times like you like to lead by example, mm-hmm. but like that guy can't even roll, mm-hmm. and he's one of the, by far one of the best coaches in the country. I think yep. most people wouldn't argue that. Um, he's put together just such a good squad, mm-hmm. and um, it's just because his level of understanding is sure. just so deep. Sure, but but I will I will I will say he he is an animal too though because he he was still rolling when was during it? RC. Oh yeah, every every day every round and. Uh, People all the funny thing about that is people always ask me all the time. like, oh, how do you roll with a ton of people? Like, who's the best guy you ever rolled with? And um, you know, and you know, definitely roll with guys. Like I said earlier, roll with Salo and just and, and some other like like super good guys and stuff. But um, um, but uh, definitely John's the best I've ever rolled with. Really? Like, yeah, it was it was he was it was like toying with a child. Him to me, it was like I tell people all the time. Like the first couple of weeks. It was like, and I, and I felt like I was one of the better jiu-jitsu guys on the show as far as, uh, you know. Oh, you were. Holding my own. But um, but he literally, like in a five-minute go, would like tap me like five or six times. Really? Yeah, and it was like that, especially the first week. And then it started to get a little better, a little better, a little better. And then by the end, the last couple of weeks, um, I could make it out of a round without getting submitted. But it was like uh, drowning the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah so but but that's that's an amazing thing is like i tell people that because um just because it's just the it, it, that that's what makes him more even truly unique and amazing is that um you know he was like his knees were so his legs were so messed up and he was like you know kind of considered a cripple and he could still just go on the mat and just destroy everybody yeah and now he can't because i think his hips fully you know, shot, yeah, I think but, he's in a bad spot. There. But then he was he was kicking some ass. Yeah, so. I saw a picture. I think it was an old picture where he was he was just so jacked when mm-hmm. he was younger. Yep, he was a bouncer for a really long time, and uh, yeah, he was he was pretty ripped. He was a uh, power lifter, and um, but yeah, I think some of that stuff took its toll. Yeah, yeah. Have you went up there and rolled with any of his younger guys at all? Or? No. Um, after the show, I went up to TriStar and trained, um, and hung out with George and um, got to train with a bunch of the guys up there. But a lot of them are heavily influenced. A lot of them cross train at Henzo's too right go back and forth um but no haven't haven't uh haven't been up that way yeah but um I, I I stayed in communication with him for a little while after um actually I didn't talk to him too long ago but it was I was trying to get him down here for a seminar but just too busy all the time yeah man if you can get him in for yeah. a seminar that yeah. would sell out so fast I know well and, and it, it was one of those things where like every time I talked to him it was like oh I'll get back to you I'm going to coach Gary Tona at this competition and then I follow up with him and then it's like oh man I'm going with Eddie Cummings to this competition he's like yeah. let me get back to you and it's just like, kind of like you know hey you know he sounds a little too busy I'll just I'll just you know not worry about it right now and uh but uh but yeah, he's putting out some great instructionals, and um, he he's a he's a he's an evil genius. Yeah, like he he knows what he's talking about. I, I was lucky on, on the show to get you know not only have his his brain, but um, you know, Greg, Greg Jackson was there at first, like um, when we were first, uh, just in that first um, couple of days of the show. But just seeing those kind of minds, like yeah, you know, just like and then getting to work with Faraz as a hobby GSP's coach, it's mm-hmm. like man, just just absorbing those like some of the stuff from those guys is just amazing those guys are just oh, yeah. some of the best jiu-jitsu mind, or uh, mma minds out there you know yeah man those guys are uh they're all very cerebral with their approach mm-hmm. and uh they're uh yeah they're systematic mm-hmm. i guess is a good way to put it for sure yeah well dude it's been about an hour i want to be respectful yeah. of your time yeah, um i'm gonna leave the floor to you if you want to uh Tell the people about your gym, how they can come check it out, or your socials, yeah. or anything you want to plug. Sure, man, I appreciate it. Um, you know, always, always thank my, um, you know, my my students for the support. My uh, 
my wife um and and kiddo they they definitely are my my main motivation and uh uh my sponsor show your role um you know and 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 thank you for allowing me to come in and and, and chat with you a little bit it's like i don't i like i told you the other day i don't have any trouble talking like unfortunately <laughs> my students probably agree with me they probably I, <laughs> sometimes like i'll make videos to put on of, of technique yeah for facebook and i'll like oh my god that video is 10 minutes i was talking that all the time it's like <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> I, I can tell people like rolling their eyes yes kyle you do talk about you need so. to know the why yeah exactly so I, I talk a little too much but i appreciate the opportunity to let me uh chat a little a little while um but yeah my gym um watsonbjj.com watsonbjj.com is the website um i let people come in for a week for free to try it out um and it's an awesome gym it's a good vibe uh, i tell people all the time it's not an alpha male place where people are trying to see the tough guys is very welcoming it's very team oriented um, um i definitely preach mentorship here so definitely check it out but i i would also say you know for people i mean most of the people listening probably already have a have a gym but i would say even if it's not my place go find a gym go find a jiu-jitsu gym go find a martial arts gym muay thai yeah. something uh martial arts is an awesome community Absolutely. and even if it's not my place do it somewhere because yeah. it's great for your life go move your body man that's right um yeah well now that you said that, I was actually going to ask you, but you brought it up anyway. Are you going to do more instructionals or anything? Have you thought about putting out an instructional? Or? It's funny you say that. Yeah, I have. I've been working on the outline for a couple of years. I'd be, I'll do it for a little bit, and I'll be like, I have this topic that I felt like hasn't been done or hasn't really been done in depth, and I, and I feel like I pr- understand it pretty well. So I'd been making notes, and every time I will like revamp a couple ideas from it, I'll go back and write it down and I'm like, Oh, this doesn't really work anymore. And this works. Yeah. And, um, I have enough material that I could do like a three disc set, but it's just like, everybody's putting stuff out now. So it's yeah. just one of those things where it's like, I'm, I'm entertaining the idea, but I'm so busy and it, yeah. it's just, and maybe sometime, maybe, sometime. maybe we'll yeah. see. Yeah. We'll yeah. see what the future yeah. holds for sure, man. All right, Kyle. Thanks I again. Appreciate it again brother. Thanks. Thanks so much.